you feel like you have let down the jersey or your country, and then you got some punk, John Walker seven two one. Geez, you played trash last night or something, you know? Like, yeah, I know I did. Yeah. We lost. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Don't state the obvious. Hey guys, Rico Gear here. Today's episode, we will be chatting to a legendary halfback. He's knocking on the door of a hundred Test matches. Arguably one of the greatest halfbacks that New Zealand has ever produced. He is currently in a five-star jail. Nah, just kidding. But actually kind of is. Introducing, from the prison cell, Aaron Smith. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And, uh, well, I, I, my personal sanity's, uh, you know, it's getting tested. It's day eight. We get out Sunday night. Um, yeah. We're on the way down, you know. We're on the we're past the halfway point by a day. And she's uh, been tough going, mate. But, um yeah, as we said, we're just getting through it. The food's great. You said our, our yep. hotel, we've got a Watt bike in our room. That keeps me sane a little bit. And uh, plenty of FaceTime home to my um, beautiful son and my partner. And uh, yeah, it's just counting the days, try to work out in the morning and in the afternoon and then just try not eat too much. Yeah, 100%, bro. Um, yeah, I, I know you'd definitely be missing the family and you're counting down the days. Um, you know, and that, that, I'm sure that time will go pretty quickly, you know, so you can get back to your loved ones and, and have a bit of time off, bro, from what's been a pretty challenging year. And, you know, congratulations, too, on, on obviously your achievements and, and the team's achievements. Um, in terms of quarantine, are you, are, you, are you rooming with someone else and do you get to spend time with, with the boys, obviously, and, and, and hang out a bit within the hotel? Nah, mate, we're in our own individual bubble. We, um, we can't leave our room outside of allocated times. You're allowed to get Uber Eats and you've got to go down to the lobby and pick it up, but uh, there's no mingling. Uh, we have a terrace we're allowed to use, but we've got to keep social distancing two metres at all times. We're allowed to book times to go to a park, but it's all two metres apart. You've got to sit by yourself. Um, you can't hang out. You're not allowed to train at the park. You're not allowed to sweat, apparently sweat, and overexertion uh, spreads the disease quicker. So, um, yeah, I've been just chilling in my room, mate, going pretty hard on the Watt bike mm. and um, just trying to keep sane, trying to organise my wedding in January. And, uh, yeah, not much, bro, to be honest. So it's been really good uh, for the body. But, you know, FaceTiming home is hard because when I'm playing rugby and that, you're training, you're just happy to see your son and that. But knowing I can be home now, there's no games. It's actually really hard and it's really sad. So... Yeah, six days to go. Sunday night, hug and kiss my family again. Man, I, I didn't, you know, and I don't think people realise actually how tough, um, you know, the, the, the boys are, are doing it, you know, in quarantine and, and didn't realise, you know, it would be like that to that extent considering you've been in your own bubble even when you're in Australia here. I know that I got in touch with Joey Locke, your media man, uh, good old Joey, and I said to Joey, I said, bro, I'll come and see the boys after the game if that's possible. And, you know, even then, you know, there was a lot of restrictions around that. So I'm sure that's really frustrating for the boys. But, you know, I'm sure in no time, you know, you'd be home with the family. And uh, congratulations, bro, on obviously getting ready for your wedding day. Um, you know, that's really exciting. So pl so plenty to look forward to. Um, so, bro, from the uh, from the weekend, obviously we saw the Māori All Blacks, you know, take on the Moana Pacific team. Um, I think, you know, probably for us being, you know, Māori boys, probably quite refreshing to see that game, you know, take place. Um, and just I just remember a little story, bro, when I first met you uh, at a friend's place in Auckland. I don't even know what year it was. It was ages ago. 
And at the time you were playing, I remember you telling me you were playing for Manawa 2, and I think you had just made the Māori All Black team. Um, and I think you were yet to play for them. And I remember meeting you and I was like, man, who's this little fella? He's telling me he's in the New Zealand Māori team. And I'm like, bro, don't you know that halfbacks are six foot tall and 95 kilos? You know, back then when we had our big halfbacks. Um, but I remember that was the first time I met you and, and, and here we are. You know, so many years later, and obviously we got to watch the Māori team, um, you know, play on the weekend. What did you make of the game, and how exciting is it to see, you know, that Pacific team come together also? Oh, it's always good to see um, the Māori team assemble, and, you know, to see them do uh, Ete Matanga, it's pretty impressive haka. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I was really glad to see the way they played too. I think, like, um, the way the Māori, like, the that was a very good Pacifica team. Like there was no doubts that that was going to be a massive game. And I really was like, this is going to challenge them because of their physicality they put out. But I was really proud of Tony Brown's game plan. And then obviously our boys like that, uh, Quinton Tapia, all our young boys, Proctor, like they had outstanding games and um, they were first debutants, you know? And then also you got Ash Dixon with a few of the other older boys leading the way and steering them around and, it was just like that try that Billy Proctor got was Māori rugby at its best and just flare, grab a kick to himself, flick it inside, try. Like, that's just, yeah. that's just how we play, you know, and that's, that's, that's that backyard kind of footy, that down the park, bare feet, um, just playing with your cousins, just jamming. So it was pretty cool to see. And then uh, it was actually cool to see them get a couple of more tries as well, just really tighten the screws up, get tight. But, yeah, I, I tell you, I was um, FaceTiming my son when uh, they were doing the haka and, he thinks it was me, but I could tell, you know, um, it's cool to, it's cool to just ingrain that in there and, oh man, the looks and the, the way they do it is pretty special. So I remember those days and it was actually probably more scary learning the haka than uh, performing it when uh, you're in camp for your first time because uh, they critique you like you should know this thing like the back of your hand, but you've only learned it for an hour yeah. and then you yeah. perform it to the standards yeah. that the models expect and that's hard, like, I, I failed two or three times my line did, so they walk you forward. Nah, they just stop you. <laughs> and then we finally kind of, you get to a place with it where you just let let go, fully fully commit. And um, you might make the odd mistake, but if your vigor and your mana shows through, you sort of pass, I think. So Pity and um, Liam Messon were pretty ruthless with me, but um, it's got to be we're judged on that more than maybe the game. Yeah, hard outbrain, you're right. You know, Uncle Fitu, you know, the late Uncle Fitu Tipiwai, who was, uh, you know, composed the haka for us. I remember performing that when he first um, bought it out. I think it was Mouldy Colts or something back in, you know, 22 years ago or something. But um, yeah, you're right. In terms of learning the haka, there's there's certain standards that, you know, you, you have to be at. And, and the tutors, you know, Matu Derek, you know, that composed the All Black Haka, they're pretty tough taskmasters, aren't they, when it comes to doing things properly and, and doing it right. Um, and they certainly let you know about it if you're, if you're not quite doing it properly. And I, was, I wasn't the most, you know, strong in the te reo and that, but you, you feel bad because you are trying, but um, you, are, you are still learning it, you know. Like, so I, I sort of look at it two ways, like, man, yeah. you've just taught me this, and now I've got to know, like, how exactly to hold my arms and get to position so but hey come saturday the day you do it and then even then like how i reckon it helped me um do kamate better too because the way the maldives do kamate as well 
with the song before it, like that's special and all those things around uh, um, singing the Waiatas and that on the bass and um, still songs I, I remember and watching the All Blacks Instagram with uh, the Waiatas on the bus, it just brought back memories of, for me, 2010, being on the bus with uh, your brother and uh, all those stars and I was this punk 21-year-old just chilling at the front trying to learn the words. It was cool. 2010, that was a good year for the Māoris. I think the boys beat the English at, um, was that the game in, in Hawke's Bay? Um, like, that was probably, I think that's probably one of the best Māori games I've probably seen in terms of, I think, that length of the field try where, you know, went through, I think, just about everybody in the team to score and then obviously getting the result over the English. Um, that was certainly a memorable game and, uh, yeah, how awesome to be be a part of that. You know, back in 2010. Oh, that was that was special for me. I'm from um, I'm from the Hawks Bay, so Kanunu and we're doing they did they did the haka to us out mm. all the high school students, and then the English actually got up quite a bit in that game, and then we just sort of got two tries out of nothing, eh? So your brother had a night, and um, you know Big Mooks was just watch out that night, man. He was on fire and that whole year really. But I'm glad that um, Maldives propelled him into the All Blacks later that year, and uh, I can remember him getting Maldives Player of the Year and just well-deserved and carved up on the India Tour. So um, it was cool about that team, but just special, the 100th year of uh, Maldi rugby, played at traditional Maldi towns too, Rotorua, um, Whangarei, and, um, and then in Napier. So they all came out in their droves and it was awesome. And like I say, that 2010 memory of that team, it's a special team. Me and Dane Coles, uh, we're in the All Blacks now, and we talk about those memories about being in that team, and it's right up there, you know? Yeah, awesome, and, and I think you're right, bro. I think it's probably one of our best Māori teams, um, you know, over over the um, over the years, uh, you know, for sure, uh, when you look at the caliber of players and the results that the team achieved, you know, at that time. And, um, you know, talking about results, bro, we look back just, you know, the last couple of months with the ABs, um, you know, a couple of tough losses, a couple of really good performances also. Um, and we'll talk about the, the loss to the Pumas, obviously, that because it's a, such a historic moment, you know, for both teams. Um, you know, it would have been disappointing to drop that game. Um, you know, and, and, and on the flip side of that, you're great for World Rugby, sure. Uh, great for the Pumas. And to be fair, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to play against the Pumas many years ago. And, and we won by one point against them. And I think a couple of years before that, the, the All Blacks had to score on full time to beat them. So in actual fact, it was probably just a matter of time because they've always been a strong side. It was um, pretty tough. But as you said, the, they've been there for ages and um, no game mm -hmm. against them. They play with passion. And it was a matter of time, mate. Uh, they were going to have their day. Um, it might actually be better it wasn't at a World Cup or something, to be honest. But um, yeah, like you say, I've played the RG's 20 or 30 times and it's never easy they've knocked off big teams in the last five or six years yep. them entering super rugby has probably helped that as well streamline their um, professionalism around their team their players playing in in argentina you know so and they had a day that day and we were a bit off and uh, we had a young team and we just didn't play very well and they took their moments but they also got us heavily in the red, mate, and it's something we've probably learnt from. They they really went at our, they they try to get us off task and fight us and set us up, and we kind of fell into that trap. All black sides don't operate like that, as we tried to show in the second time we played them, we were 
We didn't muck around with any of their shit off the ball. Mm. We just stayed focused on mm. tasks and we broke them eventually. But as we saw, it took a lot. Aussie couldn't do it in the weekend. Um, you would say even how we won in um, Newcastle was more of a squeeze and, and, and we got them in the end. It wasn't a full knockout, you know, but we got, we won dominantly, but it wasn't a, yeah. we weren't running, running, running through them like nothing. They were, their defense mm. is world-class. So they've found something there that a lot of teams have got to probably look at and go, holy, because their defense, I'll tell you, we were trying and it was very hard to crack. They um, defend with passion, they're physical, they're big. Yeah, as you said, it was, um, it was coming. Um, I, I personally think though, the gap between say the tier one nations and the tier two nations now is, is, is pretty, pretty, pretty limited. Eh? It's not like it was. Um, I think even in my all black career, uh, I was a part of Ireland beating us, but before Ireland beat us, they were coming 2013. We won an extra time, like these little victories that you can't beat yeah. these teams forever. Um, sometimes some teams are going to have their day. Sometimes you see them off, but um, I was really happy with how we finished um, we wanted to kind of play a game sort of style that we probably hadn't all year. We really wanted to squeeze them and make our tackles and and show what it meant to us. And I think it really did. Like it was 10 all at half time, but they had no time in our 22. Uh, they had the ball like 30% and we were sort of like, here, have the ball so we can smash you, you know, and, and, it, and it really showed up. Yeah, absolutely, bro. And I think we saw that, you know, in that second game where, you know, we, we saw a complete turnaround in terms of the discipline um, and, and just the way the boys, you know, um, you know, changed things up in terms of, you know, we did a lot more kicking, not always accurate, but at the same time, maybe we keep them guessing uh, and then we're able to execute on, on a couple of occasions. And like you're saying, we just sort of squeeze them out. Um, and when we look at the All Blacks, I think what, you know, you'd be able to talk more on it is, is, is what the coaches um, and the All Blacks use in terms of, you know, we've had a loss. How do you get up, you know, for that next game? Um, or even when you're winning, you know, all the time, it's like how do you keep creating something new to, to motivate the team and, and as a, uh, individuals as well? Yeah, great question. I think more in the All Blacks, it's a bit different because everyone expects us to win. But we also set a standard of like we, we, we try to win as well most games if we can, you know, so... Uh, there was easily motivation after we lost that game. We had a bye week after that and a week to prepare for Aji. So it was two weeks of good mahi, good work. But there were some grumpy people away. We we got embarrassed a little bit. Um, we felt a little bit ashamed about our performance. They outpassioned us and there was no doubt how up they were for the game. And their intensity that they brought really showed where we needed to be. And it maybe showed that we weren't the same as say Auckland or uh, Sydney and uh, we had to take a good look in the mirror about that take the learnings and but a, a lot of that too was around us leaders all played pretty average and we talk about in the All Blacks that you know us leaders have to be playing good rugby on the field to for the other boys to do well and that was a big challenge for us and yeah so the motivation was easy I don't know if you had any losses or in the All Black jersey but um, they're never nice and the whole, you know, New Zealand is so passionate about it and um, they expect us to win and, 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 and fair and um, we should have beaten them that first game, but we didn't. And we had to had two weeks of humble pie because we didn't get to play them straight mm -hmm. away. So it was two weeks building up to that and we, we weren't in a mood that night to 
speed friendly. So we were going to be there, show what it meant to play for the All Blacks, and I think we did that. Absolutely, was and that was awesome to see. And um, I think that's a really good point you make. You know, for the fans and people that are watching, that the you know the the losses. You know, when the All Blacks do lose, you know, the individuals can take it pretty tough. You know, and I think we take it quite personally. Uh, you know, and and it does really really hurt. So. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, the, the ability for the for the boys and the challenge for the coaches is to, you know, use that for the next opportunity, you know, that, that the team gets. Um, and I do, definitely do remember, you know, some of the boys, you know, taking taking the losses really, really hard and uh, getting really, really down on it. And um, I think I guess it's great that, you know, from a, a psychological point of view, there's a bit of support now. Um, we're still, have, still having a, a mental skills coach involved with the All Blacks? Is that still something that's prominent? Yeah, we still do a lot in that mental area, but I think something that's uh, probably worse now is the keyboard warriors, bro, to be honest. Um, their ability mm. to be able to contact you individually can hurt, and and then the media as well. So, um, you know, there was a lot going on. We are getting, we were getting bashed from the media, from probably you're already down and then you've got keyboard warriors coming at you and mm -hmm. hey i've played for 10 years now but they it, you try to act like it doesn't hurt it hurts bro and you you feel like you have let down the jersey or your country and then you got some punk john walker 721 mm -hmm. geez you played trash last <laughs> night or something you know like yeah i know i did yeah. we lost <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> Don't state the obvious. Yeah, no, shot. I know I missed that tackle on the thing, or you should have done this more, or hindsight's beautiful. But um, you do. I think you try not to let it affect, but I think that's an area in our mental skills we found out that week, maybe, that we also have to have yep. a plan for outside uh, comments or outside, uh, not just your family or your coaching in the review. Like, the media at the moment just review everything. You know, so they're so honest or they're just trying to write clickbait articles and that. So, and it's hard to try to say you don't look at it and that, but you do. And when your name gets yep. tagged in something now, you can see it. You can't unsee it. So, yep. yeah, social media yep. is a beautiful thing. And then it's also, a, it can be very ugly. So um, we learned a lot from that RG victory uh, loss that you need to have a plan around when you play good and when you play bad as well. So, that's something we probably got. That's a little bit of a silver lining there. Is that okay? If we do lose, yes, yep. it's not the end of the world. Um, how do we get better? But then having a plan around any private messages you get sent or comments or tags, just don't look at it. Yeah. Hey, you know, I think thanks. You know, thanks for sharing that, bro. Because you know, people don't probably realise that. And you know, it's all you keyboard warriors out there. How about we be keyboard gentlemen instead, or gentlewoman? Um, you know, especially with all, you know, what we're all going through, we're all human and we all, all have the same emotions. So, um, absolutely, let's just um, be positive and, and come from an uplifting, you know, point of view. Um, and, and speaking of, uh, you know, being, being uh, in camp and stuff, bro, we've got a few questions from the fans, um, something a bit more lighthearted. Uh, in terms of over the years, who's been your worst roommate? You know, or, or the most annoying guy, someone that really stands out, Israel Dag, I've only it was one night, uh, one one week, and he never put his washing out, so he used all my socks and my shorts, or he'd steal my hats to cover his hair, or uh, yeah, he was, and he'd like sleep random hours and stay up all night, or be on his phone, and yeah, it was just a long week. Love the guy, he's an amazing man, but yeah, 
um, pretty casual and pretty chilled. And uh, yeah, I never had socks because he keeps taking them. <laughs> Is he dag? I'll tell you what, his hair's looking pretty good nowadays, bro. He's done something there. He loves it, eh? <laughs> We've got another one, bro, from um, uh, Spence Addo, a good friend of mine, uh, a good rugby coach at Somerset College here on the Gold Coast. Um, he asks us, how do you balance out uh, competing you know, for a, a, a starting spot in the All Blacks, um, you know, with the likes of TJ, what's the relationship like with you two competing for the same spot? Um, you know, over the years, even when I was a part of the team, we had Justin Marshall and Byron Kelleher. Bro, they absolutely hated each other. They couldn't even sit next to each other at breakfast or on the bus. Never even spoke to each other. That's how bad it was. Um, and I know things have changed. What's it like for you guys? Well, I guess you got to put the jersey or your team first. I think that whole competitiveness and um, you're actually judged more now on how you act when you don't, when you don't make it or don't get selected. Eh? Like they watch you more. Like, are you selfless enough to put mm. your feelings before the team or are you a selfish individual mm. and you just going to sulk? And uh, yeah, it's, it's, and you got to be honest, it's tough when you get those chances, you're not starting, but the best way to, the best way to get it back is to perform on the Saturday, but also help that guy play the best he can. And then when your times are there to perform or train, nail them, like put it all effort into that. So if you get only two reps at training, make sure you nail the two reps or if you get a handful, but you'll be judged and they watch more these days on how you react. And those coaches do that evil stuff. As we all know, is they'll just start a guy to see how you do react or they'll, you play really well and they just like, oh, we'll give this guy a crack and see if you can be selfless as well. So you go through it, but the best thing to do is to always put the team first. If the team wins, you win no matter what. If you're starting on the bench or in the stands. So um, yeah, it's all about the team. And that's a hard thing to learn, but you'll be cheering hard when they win. Yeah, no, absolutely, Brian. And uh you know, what a, what a good point for all the young rugby players out there that are listening to that. You know, there's a piece of really, really good feedback in terms of how you approach, you know, those situations and putting others first and the team first and, you know, because you're all chasing the same outcome. Um, and I guess even from the bench point of view, bro, I know that changed a number of years ago. You know, people there, the boys that are on the bench now, they're not just there because they're not, you know, the, the better players. They're actually there to close games out. And when we look at the, the situation of the game, uh, you know, they, they probably come on at quite a tough time, uh, especially when the test match is close. You know, they've, they've got to go out there and actually win the game or, or hold on, you know, for the win. Yeah, I think the roles change dramatically, eh? So guys don't play 80 minutes anymore. Only, you know, half of them do. Um, the props always need to change at that 50-minute mark to make sure our set piece is strong. And um, you, we actually call them finishers or, um, you know, that's what they're called in our team in the mm. island, isn't it? Like you're the finishers, you come on and finish the job and you've got a real key role, energizers, impact, whatever. But... Um, Oh, your games are won and lost by your bench now. If you don't have a squad of 23 that can play a whole game and, and impact and play it in intensity, yeah, you, you're in trouble. And, and obviously the freak things around, if someone gets injured, you know, you've got to be prepared to go straight in. You know, there's a lot, of, lot more uh, guys, especially with the head knocks now and stuff, it's a lot more clarity around that, just like get them off, you know, so it's all good and just making sure that your guys are ready and, and, and there's a lot of stuff, especially with the mental side for them around not playing the game too early. 
that's something that's we always speak about like make sure you're calm and build and you always know around that sort of 40 40 or 50 minute mark you got to start revving it up and when you come on you're not you know you haven't played the game too early so um yeah it's it's a big it's a big role eh? and, it, and it's critical to rugby games Awesome, bro. Um, and, and looking at your position as a nine, um, you know, I mentioned that when I was playing and, and prior to that, you know, the, the halfbacks were big. Uh, you know, they were seen as being like an extra loose forward. And then, of course, you came along and changed the whole, whole dynamic, um, you know, of, of uh, the modern day halfback um, and how effective, you know, the way you play the game. And now, you know, you're approaching 100 test matches uh, you know, probably our best halfback, you know, that we've probably ever had um, in terms of being that ideal number nine. What do you think the future looks like as in a number nine? Because, you know, is it going to be a, a, a combination of the quick, fast, big guy, um, you know, in 10, 20 years time? What do you think the number nine is going to look like from your point of view? Well, I think as we, as we, even when we grew up, Riggs, around our, the nines were smaller and, 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 passing halfbacks you know and then it kind of went to that kind of athletic era around the 90s and that and I don't know if it was anyone's fault but it was just what it was you know use Van der Vestazen and we had Marshall like these guys were athletes and um they're still like TJ's like one of them he can like dynamic as hell by himself like he can break a game open by himself but um I don't think beauty of rugby is you just don't know if someone is that good at what they do they get picked and it'll it'll go up and down and that and um i think a lot of it has gone a bit smaller in the world rugby now around speed of play and smaller guys can just run quicker and run for longer but um it's all on what what the guy is i guess so tj's just as fit as i am and that but we just play a different style uh, you know i kind of move i just get to the rucks really quick and clear the ball so that's my strength, but TJ's strengths is his ability to turn the ball over, put hits in, um, attack the line offload, break the tackles and that. But, you know, that's just how it is. And I think, I don't know, someone like Falau Fakatava at the moment, he's sort of the future of what yeah. could be. He's strong, fast, and he's got a nice pass. So if he gets it all right, that's that's like the, the perfect combo, you know. So, um, But, you know, the beauty of rugby is it's, um, you know, a uh, coach's opinion on if you if he thinks you're yep. the guy, yep. Um, yep. if you suit what style of rugby's playing. Like I think I came along very luckily at a time when the Highlanders were playing a faster brand of rugby. We got an indoor stadium, and the, the type of rugby we had to play as the Highlanders were the smaller pack. We couldn't just maul and scrum teams. We had to run teams around, you know, to beat them. So I'm a bit of a uh, chemistry mixture of luck timing and a bit of you know and the way jamie joe wanted to play with um the athletes we had so we didn't have a big burly pack but we had athletic well-skilled forwards and i could sort of play a brand of rugby an upskill up-tempo game that sort of suited us being smaller i could just go a bit longer or a bit quicker than maybe a bigger guy and uh yeah but I was just lucky it transferred to what Steve Hansen had kind of liked as well. And uh, yeah, but as I said, the the way I see a lot of variation in size still with halfbacks. So I just think a halfback's critical role is to um, pass the ball, communicate on defense around the ruck and our kicking game is key now. So 
those are the three big pillars, you know, not really running game. Running game for a halfback now is like second touches, so positive lines off those like line breaks mm -hmm. and that, if that man's track or whatever. But um, defenses are so hard now to break down. So it's all about creating slow line speed through speed. So if you're attacking at speed, clearing the ball, defenses able, ain't able to get set, you're going forward. And it sounds simple, but, you know, uh, it's a lot. It's actually easier to defend now than it is to attack. Yeah, that's awesome, Brian. Um, you know, really glad you mentioned that around, you know, probably going for that second touch in terms of when you get the opportunity to run versus probably, you know, straight away from the base when defences are set because, you know, we know that you've got an extremely strong running game um, and I guess that's having the discipline to actually pick those right moments, um, you know, by finding those second touches and, you know, it's cool that, you know, you've got TJ there, you know, you're very different players but at the same time you get to complement one another and I was going to ask you about who do you see as the next sort of nine. You mentioned Whakatawa. Um, He looks exciting. Um, there's a lot of good number nines coming through. Um, was there anyone else outside the all-black environment that, that you like the looks of? I think we're very blessed. Um, every Super Rugby, like Bryn Hall, Mitch Drummond, they're two quality nines, and they've um, won a lot of games, won titles, obviously, at Super Rugby. Um, and then you've obviously got... Um, you know, might do Sam Knox. Sam Knox, someone I, I rate very highly. He's the guy I think that's coming up that's going to be brilliant. So Sam Knock and uh, Fakatawa for sure out of that younger crew. And then um, the young Waikato halfback, I, I don't know his name, don't mean to be rude, but I watched him play in Mitres and he's only played one Mitre 10 Cup and he was brilliant. But yeah, out of that group that's played a little bit of Super Rugby in that, Sam Knock and Fakatawa for sure. And Fakatawa's well, he's not, not behind me, but I've got to fight for my job at the Landers this summer, so uh, I better get on the wad bike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't realise that he was in there with these bro with the Landers, but, you know, how fortunate for him to be able to learn off someone like yourself and, you know, eventually over time, you know, improve his game and, and uh, you know, eventually, who knows, um, he might need to lose the sheep dags though if he is going to wear that black jersey. Oh man, it is what it is, bro. These young fellas, they express themselves, and <laughs> I've had some crazy haircuts, and it is what it is, man. Ah, uh, that's it, bro. Hey, Nuggy, um, thanks a lot for your time, brother. We really appreciate you, um, you know, speaking with us and giving us a real insight insight into the All Blacks and even positional wise. Man, you know, you're not going to get it from a better a better place. It's from, you know, probably the best nine in the world. So we're very fortunate to, you know, share this time, bro. And uh, all the best for the rest of lockdown. Um, you know, nearly there. Love to the family. And all the best for your wedding, bro, And uh, you know, in the off-season. Thanks, man. And thanks for having me on. And uh, nah, good to hear from you, bro. And uh, as we said before about the uh, keyboard warriors, you know, I've got nothing nice to say. Don't say it. You actually can hurt people. But all good. Much love. And... Uh, yeah, sweet bro. Hey, thanks Aaron for your time, but honestly, you've got plenty of it at the moment. I'm Rico Gear. thanks for watching. Check out more at 11sports.net, australianonlinenews.com.au and if you want one of these bad boys or merchandise for Christmas, go to shop.ricogearrugby.com. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, stay safe, and thanks again for watching The Rugby.